moving day is a huge red-letter day on most people's calendars, right? When it's moving day, you've got that day circled on your calendar, right? Whether we are talking about moving into a college dorm or moving into our first house or moving out of our home into assisted living, changing our place of residence is a big deal in so many ways. Now last week we spoke about Jesus' ascension as being his moving day. The day that he changed his place of residence from this earth to heaven. As he ascended into the presence of God. Where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And this week we want to speak about the Holy Spirit's moving day as he is relocated from heaven to earth. We call that day Pentecost. It's the day that the Spirit came to dwell amongst us, to dwell in the hearts of every believer and to expand the church into a worldwide movement. Now, last Sunday we launched a new message series entitled The Book of Acts, Life After Jesus. Because that's exactly what the book of Acts is about. It's a historical record of what happens to the Christian faith after Jesus left this earth and returned to heaven. This book is an exciting edge-of-your-seat story of the early church's explosive growth that literally shook the world. And in this series, we will be covering one chapter a week as we work our way through the first half of this book of Acts. Now, the reason that I started this new series on Memorial Day weekend is because today is Pentecost. And guess what story we come to in Acts chapter 2? The story of Pentecost, the Spirit's outpouring. And so we want to study this subject this morning under the theme, fully charged, fully changed. So I invite you to turn to that story at this time, Acts chapter 2. It's found on page 831 in the church Bibles, page 831. And we read this exciting story beginning with verse 1, Acts 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Pergia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, 
both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. And then what follows in verses 14 uh, and, and following is Peter's Pentecostal sermon. He stands up and he declares and explains to the crowd what's going on and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And then we come to the conclusion of his Pentecostal sermon. If you would turn to verses 40 and 41, we conclude our reading there with verses 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so we begin this morning by highlighting the Pentecost event itself. The first thing that we notice about this event and this day is the tremendous gift that was given, and that gift was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, throughout the Old Testament, God's Spirit was present and active, but only in sporadic, uh, irregular kinds of ways, not not in a regular kind of way. Uh, sort of hit and miss, if you will, a behind-the-scenes kind of approach that the Spirit would take, would appear and then sort of disappear. And so we read about the Spirit way back in Genesis chapter 1, God's Spirit present at creation, hovering over the waters of creation. We read about the Spirit being present, falling upon Samson or filling David or empowering the prophets to speak boldly. But most of the time, this third person of the Trinity was hidden and mysterious, making only cameo appearances on the pages of human history, appearing for a time and then disappearing. And yet all of that changed at Pentecost. Let me try to explain it this way, kind of the pre-Pentecost, post-Pentecost way. Pre-Pentecost, the Holy Spirit appeared or came upon, descended upon a few individuals, one at a time, and only for a limited period of time, in order for them to accomplish a particular task or ministry, and then the Spirit would return to heaven. Post-Pentecost, the Spirit comes upon all believers and now permanently resides within them. So at Pentecost, we see the Spirit being poured out in a new, a whole new way. Not just upon an individual or two, but upon a whole community. And not just for a day or two, but for a lifetime. Now the gift of the Holy Spirit was already promised hundreds of years before this particular event that we read about in Acts chapter 2. In fact, if we go back to the prophet Joel, we read a prediction about this very event. In fact, Peter himself uh, makes reference to uh, this prophecy. If you still have your Bibles open, you can find that in verses 16 through 18, Acts 2, 16, where Peter in his Pentecostal sermon says, 
No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, in the Old Testament, the word prophesy often meant simply foretelling the future. By the time we get to the New Testament, that word takes on a somewhat slightly different meaning. It doesn't simply mean foretelling. It means forth-telling, telling forth the mighty acts of God, proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. That's what prophecy looks like in the New Testament. It's, it's declaring the good news that Jesus saves. Now, Joel is saying here that there is coming a day, from his perspective, you know, it was a long ways out, but there is coming a day when God's Spirit would descend upon all believers. Ordinary folk would receive the Spirit of God and become empowered witnesses of his. Pentecost Sunday was that day. And as Peter stands up and watches what is happening, he recognizes that this is actually a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. That the Spirit was being poured out in a completely new and spectacular way. Friends, we must never lose sight of the fact that Pentecost, that at Pentecost, a tremendous gift was given to us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. So at Christmas, we celebrate the gift of God's Son. And at Pentecost, we celebrate the gift of God's Spirit. But we also notice this morning from Luke's account that there were signs that accompanied this gift. And the first sign that we notice is that sound of a mighty wind. There was a mighty wind that people heard. Now wind has long been associated with the presence of God's Spirit. In fact, the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for God's spirit, the spirit of God, was the word ruach. And it even sounds like a wind, doesn't it? And it simply means the wind or breath of God. Like wind, God's spirit is mysterious. He, he comes, he blows, he moves where he wills. Like the wind, God's spirit is invisible. We cannot see him. But we can certainly feel and see the effects of the Spirit's presence. Like the wind, God's Spirit can be both gentle and powerful. Right? The wind can be gentle and powerful. Changing landscapes. So too, God's Spirit can change lives in a moment's notice. The second sign that we see here of the coming Spirit is the appearance of tongues of fire that came to rest on the heads of the disciples. Now, like wind, fire also was a common Old Testament symbol of the presence of God. There were many signs uh, and symbols in the Old Testament of God's presence, and one of those was fire. Think about uh, Moses when he met God at the burning bush. Or think about how God led his people through the wilderness 
by means of a pillar of cloud during the day, but a pillar of fire by night. It was a symbol of the presence of God. Like fire, God's Spirit warms cold hearts. God's Spirit purifies and cleanses. It changes and transforms. Now today, when God's Spirit is poured out, tongues of fire may not come to rest on our heads. But the fire of God's Spirit can still reside within our hearts, giving us a burning passion for God and for the things of God. A third sign that we see here on Pentecost is the ability to speak in unfamiliar languages. The ability to speak in unfamiliar languages. As the believers poured out of that house that they were in, as they poured out into the streets, they began to speak in languages that they had never learned. An amazing miracle took place. Now we have to understand that this was a high, holy Jewish day. And so there were many different kinds of Jews, Jews from all different parts of the Roman Empire that had gathered together for this Jewish festival. It was sort of a United Nations kind of gathering. And so it's no wonder that the crowd that had gathered together that day were amazed by what they heard. For each one heard the story of Jesus being proclaimed in their own native tongue. The language barrier that separated people one from from another, that barrier now was broken down so that the good news of Jesus could be proclaimed and understood by all. Now as we apply these signs today and the presence and coming of the Spirit, it may not look exactly the same as it does today, but this much we know. We know that whenever the warm winds of God's Spirit begin to blow, dramatic changes start to happen, start to take place. Cold hearts melt. When God's Spirit, the wind of God's Spirit, the fire comes, cold hearts melt. Closed minds open. Silent tongues speak out. And still hands get busy doing the work of the Lord. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work today. Secondly, this morning, we see the Holy Spirit's impact. The impact that he has on our lives. And the first thing that we see the Holy Spirit doing is that he convicts us of sin. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin. When Jesus, earlier in his ministry, spoke about the coming Spirit, this is what Jesus had to say about the Spirit's work. In John chapter 16, verse 8, he says, When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. So we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit's convicting work already as Peter stands up and boldly proclaims the gospel message. And people, we read that the crowd was cut to the heart. They were gripped. They were convicted by his words. And they cried out, what shall we do? They sensed firsthand the guilt, the shame, the pain and grief and sorrow associated with owning up to your own sin and your own moral shortcomings. For those who are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, 
There are no alibis, no excuses, no blaming others. Just a simple, straightforward, yet painful admission of our own personal guilt. That's the conviction of the Spirit. When we own our own guilt, people who are under the conviction are deeply disturbed by the sin that they still see present in their lives. It bothers them. They're disgusted by it. And they regularly pray that God will forgive them. Next week, we're going to be gathering together around the Lord's table. And so that gives us good opportunity this coming week to prepare ourselves for that celebration. And part of that preparation is to allow the Holy Spirit to do his convicting work, his purifying work in our hearts this week, helping us to remember that it was for our sin that Christ died. Now, the Spirit of God not only convicts us of sin, but he also unites us together in community with others. He unites us together in community with others. One of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's presence and work is unity. Unity. Now, unity is not uniformity, where we all dress and talk and act exactly the same. Rather, unity is oneness in the midst of diversity. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings different kinds of people together, uniting them together in a common cause. The Apostle Paul speaks about this subject in Ephesians 4, verse 3, when he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So work hard, make every effort to keep the unity that the Holy Spirit generates, creates through the bond of peace. Now on Pentecost Sunday, amazing things happened. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and a host of internationals, people that never met each other, become brothers and sisters in the Lord. In many ways, what we see happening on Pentecost is the exact reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Maybe you remember that story where people gathered together, they were united in a project that stood opposed to God in rebellion against him. So what does God do? God confuses the language of the people, causing them to separate and to be scattered. But here we see the reverse of that. For here God enables believers to actually speak in all of those different kinds of languages so that everyone in the crowd could understand the central message that Jesus saves. So everybody now could understand the same message. So what we see happening at Pentecost is this miraculous coming together. Instead of separation, there is now unification, a uniting together. In the power of the Holy Spirit, strangers now become friends. And a crowd now becomes a family. As the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared in the power of the Holy Spirit, it begins to break down those dividing walls that have separated people sometimes for for decades and even centuries. 
Those, those barriers come down. People come together. Drawing people together from many different walks of life. Forming a new community in Christ. That's what we see happening on Pentecost. A community that is now formed whose basis of, of unity is not found in their uh, race or in their culture or in their customs or traditions. But the basis of that unity is now their identity in Christ. That's what unites us together, that we are united in Christ. That's who we are. We are a Christ follower. So all those other things that separate us are not nearly as significant as what unites us. One more way that we see the impact of the Holy Spirit is through empowerment. The fact that he propels us to move outward with the gospel. He empowers us and propels us to move outward. It doesn't take the trained eye of a detective to spot the dramatic change that took place in the lives of the disciples when the Spirit was poured out upon them and they became filled with the Spirit. You see, their cowardice was turned to courage, their fear to faith, their trembling into a powerful testimony of God's grace. They became fully charged and fully changed. The book of Acts really is this thrilling story of what happens when men and women are filled with the Holy Spirit and sent out on mission for Christ. That's what the entire book is about. It's an exciting story of the change that happens, the mission that we are now on. Just here in chapter 2, we see Christ's followers being spilled out onto the streets and sharing the good news with those who had gathered. We see Peter boldly standing up and proclaiming the message that salvation is found only in Jesus. And we see 3,000 people convicted of their sins, turning to faith in Jesus and being baptized. Thousands of lives changed for all eternity. Friends, do you realize that more lives, more souls were won for Christ on this single day than Jesus himself won in all three years of his public ministry. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is unleashed. Jesus promised his followers this same transforming power just before he ascended into heaven. In Acts 1 verse 8, we talked about this verse last week, Jesus makes this promise, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. It is God's Spirit then that energizes the church, compelling us to move forward and to move outward, enabling us to do what we could not do on our own. Friends, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. A dynamic, spirit-filled, spirit-led, life-giving, gospel-sharing body of believers that is powerfully impacting its community for Christ. That's an exciting thing to be a part of. In fact, I can't think of anything more exciting. So let's ask that God will pour out his Pentecostal spirit once again upon us so that we might be set ablaze 
to share his love and model his truth to those around us this week. Let's pray. For the sending of your spirit. We thank you for Pentecost and for your grace, Lord, to give us yourself who now takes up residency within us. And Lord, I ask that that we would uh, continue to uh, empty ourselves so that we can be filled with your Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would set us ablaze once again. Fire up our hearts. Fill us, Lord, with a desire, with your desire, with your will, with your words. Lord, may we go once again from this place as bold witnesses of yours. We're thankful, Lord, for the unity that we can experience one with another. That we, that we see evidences of your Spirit working all around us and within us. So, Lord, convict us, convince us, and fill us with courage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.